0: All right, grab your Bible this morning and open it to Ephesians chapter 5. We are in this study, and we're asking ourselves this big question, what do I believe? And we're in Ephesians talking about what it means to be in Christ. And this morning we're going to talk about some really important things. And as we get to that, I want to just mention to you, you've probably heard me mention this a couple times before, but um, I've been listening to this podcast lately called The History of Rome, and it it, start, it just goes through the entire history of Rome. Right now, I'm, I'm like mid-second century after Christ, but it started like 800 um, BC, and it's gone all the way through. But one of the reasons I've been listening to it is just I just wanted to understand better what the culture was like during the time frame that the Bible was written and during the time frame that Jesus was walking on the earth. And that's the time when the Roman Empire was at its height in that turn of the century and was really um, a big deal and was affecting really how everything and everybody lived and, and did life. And so uh, I've been listening to it and it, just continue to find out fascinating things about life and life at that time. Because life at that time, I don't know if you knew this or not, but life at, at, you know, like 30 AD was much different than life now. If you didn't know that, then just, I'll take you to coffee and I can tell you more. But it was very, very different. Well, here's a couple things I've learned from the podcast recently that are helpful for our section of scripture today that helps us with our context. First of all, I've learned this that during that time, and probably, and I believe it's been true for, for really for all the time, they're just highlighting it during that time as well. But the family unit, the family structure, parents and kids was extremely important. Extremely important. In fact, you literally almost could not do life at all on your own. The idea that someone would live by themselves, alone from their family apart from community is literally unheard of. And not just unheard of because people didn't want to do it, you couldn't do it. The only reason that we can live alone today is because we have modern technology. You couldn't live alone then because you didn't have a refrigerator and you didn't have food that you go bought at a store and then put it in your refrigerator or your freezer and be able to live in your own apartment none of those things existed. The thing that was the most important was your family structure. I also found out something interesting just recently, it was just a couple podcasts back. Rome is a city of about a million people. It's the the most uh, wealthy city, it's the most economic city, it's the most independent city, it's the most technologically advanced city in the Roman Empire, and there are no restaurants. None. No restaurants. You know why? Everybody ate at home because the family structure was where everybody did important stuff. And so even then we learned, and I've I've come to learn even more, that life was lived in community and the social structure was very important to daily life. Now these truths about the ancient world are important to our text today because the Bible was written during that time, but also because we're talking this morning about the family structure and what God says about families, what God says about the relationships in a family, and what God says about how he wants those relationships to go and work and operate. And so Paul's going to talk about how Christian households should live with one another, how we honor Jesus in those relationships, and how we live for him. So that's the context of our section. So what what I've seen in the podcast is that is what was happening. And what I see in God's word is Paul's direction for how people can live for Christ in that environment. And so we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 through chapter six, verse four. So grab your Bible or turn your Bible on and let's look at it together. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without, spot, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. What a great section of scripture, as Paul just takes time to help us understand the foundation of life and the foundation of godly culture and, and what has become the foundation of all societies around the world. And what we're going to talk about this morning is that we believe that this section of Scripture, it helps us understand that the Spirit gives guidance to all relationships. As you and I live in the Spirit and operate in the Spirit, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit to empower us, we discover that these relationships become the most important in our lives. And the Spirit guides them and helps them with us. So we're going to discuss in this section the two really powerful relationships that we see here. The relationship between a husband and a wife, and the relationship that we see between parents and their kids. Now these are also the primary relationships we see in operation in almost every society today. We see them happening in the first century. The same is true for today. Now, these relationships are the most important to God and to us. We want them to grow. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be thriving. We want Jesus to be in the middle of them. And that's why it should be no surprise to us at all that marriage and parenting are the two relationships that are being the most attacked in our world today shouldn't surprise us at all. Why? Because Satan knows the power of a good marriage. And Satan knows the power of parents that love their kids and kids that love their parents. Satan knows that when those relationships are healthy and growing and thriving and Christ-like, that anything can happen on the planet in the name of Jesus when we live out the roles that God has called us to. And so Satan's on the attack. He doesn't want people to have good marriages. He doesn't even want godly marriage to exist at all in our planet. And he certainly doesn't want marriage between a man and a woman to be exalted and praised and honored in our culture. And he wants there to be friction between kids and parents, and parents to be mad at kids, and kids to be mad at parents, so that the relationship isn't all that it could be. And so I wanna challenge us this morning as Paul gives us direction to live in the fullness of what God asks us to do. And so we'll look at that together. The first thing we'll look at is the relationship that God gives direction for between husbands and wives. Now, this is important. This is really important because it's the foundation of every family. The relationship between a husband and a wife is the foundation of the family, it's the foundation of culture, it's the foundation of every society moving forward, in fact, Uh, as it's interesting that as I'm moving forward in the podcast of the history of Rome, as the family is falling apart in the Roman Empire, guess what else is falling apart? The Roman Empire. And so it's interesting that that's happening in the Roman Empire. It's also not surprising that it's happening somewhat today as we see it. There's another reason that Paul takes quite a bit of time in Ephesians and other letters as well to talk about these relationships. By the way, you see the same pattern in Colossians and Corinthians and other letters as well. And that's because before people um, believed in Jesus, and you probably remember this about your own life too, relationships were, were about me. A relationship was about what I can get out of it. Now this relationship needs to be for my benefit, for what I need, and for what the most that I can get out of this relationship and how it can please me the most. And Jesus is going to change that view. The scriptures are going to change that idea that godly relationships are not me first. Godly relationships are how can I serve first, just like Jesus did for us. And we'll see that Jesus is the model throughout this entire section. We'll see that in just a moment. So the first relationship God gives us direction for is a husband and a wife. And the first thing I want us to notice is verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. Paul said, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I wanna start there because what we often do is we jump right into verses 22 through 25 and we say wives must submit to their husbands. But the first verse says what? You need to submit to one another. And he's not just talking about marriage, even though that's the primary role here. He's talking about everyone in a family. Everyone in this household will have to submit to one another, And there will be times that parents might submit to kids. There will be times that kids submit to parents. There'll be times that husbands submit to their wives and wives submit to their husbands. The overall umbrella of it that we need to understand is that as we live together, we live together in kindness and in love and submission to Jesus and in submission to one another. You say, Pastor Mark, how does that work with my kids? Well, let me give you a good example. When Kate and I were, um, we had the kids in the house and we were little, one of the things that just became frustrating is to fight over the little things, right parents? I like, isn't that just so frustrating to fight over the little things? And you're like, so you're in Spokane and you need to do lunch and your kids are just arguing about where we wanna go for lunch. I wanna go here, I wanna go there. And before you know it, you're in a fight in the car. Are we the only family that ever did that? Oh, okay, okay, so you, you've done too. So we had a thing called Choice Day. And Choice Day helped us fight better (laughs) in a more succinct and precise way. But basically choice day was this, and it was how we submitted to one another in our family. Odd days of the week were Allie's days, and even days of the week were Tim's days. Now that works good because we had two kids. If you got three kids or four kids, you're gonna have to do the math. I can't do that quick enough right now to figure out how that would work. Maybe you just go four days in a row and you just keep the cycle going. But here's how it worked. If it was an odd day and we needed to go to lunch, Allie got to pick. And we all submitted to whatever Allie picked. And even though Allie may always pick Taco Bell, every single time we went to Taco Bell. Why? Because Allie's learning how to make a decision. And she wants to go to Taco Bell. And even though every single time Tim's picking pizza, we're going to pizza. Right? It's how we submitted to one another. And it's and it's what made our, our life and our and just things go well in our family. So sometimes you'll see they'll be submitting to one another. I also think it's helpful for us to look at the words that are used to describe the different roles in this relationship. So we'll look at the words for all of the roles in the relationship. And it starts with husbands and wives. To the wives, God used the words submit and respect. And to the husbands, God used the word love. Now the model used throughout the verses is Jesus. Did you, know how much, did you notice how much Jesus was talked about? And how we're really in this family unit, in our relationships, modeling our life after Jesus, And his relationship? Well, why is that? Well, because Jesus knew perfectly about submission and love. Because what did Jesus do? Think about it with me for a minute. Jesus submitted his life to God the Father and died on the cross for you and me. That's a lot of submission. That the creator of the universe, God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords, would let mere men... Nail him to a cross so that you and I could be free. That is the greatest form of submission we have ever seen. And so when Jesus says, I want you to submit to one another, and I want wives to submit to their husbands, Jesus knows what that's like. And he understands why it's important and why it's helpful and why it will make your relationship thrive and grow and be healthy. Jesus understands that. Now, does Jesus know how to love? You bet he does. I can't imagine what it would be like to leave heaven and come here because you love us. But Jesus does, and he did it. So when Jesus asked husbands to love like he did, and for us in a family to love one another like he did, he knows exactly what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to love in a very passionate, intimate, and committed way that honors Christ and honors one another. That's exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. And he knows what he's asking us to do. And since he lives inside of us, his power and his strength can help us do that. So the first way is that Paul tells us that wives should submit to their husbands, like Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. So let me point out a couple things about wives submitting to their husbands that are kind of in the section in the scriptures here. but I'm going to broaden it as well. Let me first of all say this, this idea of submission and love and children obeying and parents um, instructing. This is God's idea. This is God's plan. This isn't our plan. If it was our plan, we'd have put something different down on paper, right? We'd have put something totally different down on paper, but it's God's plan. So it's God's plan for husbands to love and for For children to obey and for wives to submit and for parents to do a good job. This is God's plan. Now, I've heard along the way these sections of scriptures can often be challenging in the modern world and in the day in which we live. And so I'll hear things, you know, like, yeah, that was just the Apostle Paul. He's just a chauvinist. He's just a Christian chauvinist. He just wanted to have a good relationship with his own wife and he didn't have the strength to do that. And so he puts this down on paper and that'll help him have a better relationship with his wife. The only problem with that is what? Paul was single. He's never married. So then the argument becomes, well, why are we listening to a guy talk about marriage that's never been married? Isn't that kind of silly? Unless this was written by the inspiration of God and that it's God's plan and God's will And God's word, in fact, it affirms what God wants us to do more because God asks a single guy who doesn't understand anything about marriage to, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put down on paper what would be best for a marriage, what would be best for parenting, and what would be best for kids. This affirms and raises the standard to the fact that this is what God has for us. I also want to talk about what submitting means scripturally, biblically, because I think that this section has gotten a bad rap. In other words, the idea is what, what you're saying as Christians is that you just, want, you just want wives to be barefoot and pregnant, right? That's what you want. You just want them to do whatever a husband wants, whenever he wants, and Whenever he comes home, you just got to have dinner on the table right away and please him however you want. That, that's what this means, right? Not at all. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Let me give you an example of this. We have a section of scripture in the book of Proverbs that tells us what a great wife looks like. It's Proverbs 31. And in this section of verses, the husband honors his wife, and lets everybody know how she is a great wife and what she is doing to be a great wife. And in this section, it's interesting what you see expressed by the husband who loves her. In this section of verses, we see that this woman is honored because she's doing several things. One, she's running several profitable businesses in her hometown, not one, Several. So she's a business person. She's buying property and selling property. She's buying property and planting vineyards on it. She also has international business where she's selling things that she's growing and that she's making, and they're traveling to other places in the world because she's great, she has a great business mind. So she's, this, she's like a CEO of a company. She wakes up every morning, it says, and she takes care of her house and she distributes work to all the people in her house, the kids and the servants and everyone in the house so that the house is running smoothly and it's going really well. So she's very organized. She's very talented. She knows how to get things done. It says that she's wise and that people come to her for her wisdom. It says that she's generous. And kind and takes care of the poor. It says that she gives great instruction with kindness and she fears the Lord. This doesn't sound like a woman that's a pushover. This doesn't sound like a woman that's barefoot and pregnant all day. Sounds like she's pretty busy, sounds like she's running some big things in town. It sounds like the people in town honor her and value her like her husband does, because she's an essential part of the community that is helping the community run at a rapid pace because she's using her gifts and her talents for the Lord. That's what it looks like. And that's what a man who wants a woman like this and a, and a wife like this is talking about. This is what Scripture talks about about being in a relationship with a man. So what does it mean to submit then if a woman is like that? It means this. It means that in a relationship, as we all know, there are times in a relationship where we hit an impasse. Ever hit an impasse over a decision? And you have to make a decision. And at some point, somebody's got to make a decision in this moment. And what God is saying is, in that moment when you've talked about a subject matter, about something to do for your family, or for your relationship, or you want to move forward with, and there's just an impasse. Somebody's got to make a decision here. Then God says, "I want the husband to make a decision. I want the husband to choose to be the leader and make that decision, and the wife should submit to that decision, just like we as the church submit to Jesus. that we understand Jesus as our leader, and as our authority. And the wife understands that to the husband as well. And so when there are decisions to be made, and someone's got to make a decision, God says, I want the husband to make that decision. But in that process, he's listened to his wife. He's listened to the kids. They've talked about it. They've discussed it. He's gotten all the input that he needs. But now, he's going to make a decision. And the wife has to submit to that. That's what the word is referring to. Now husbands, our role is different. The role that God has given the husbands is to love their wives as much as Christ loves the church. And here's what we see. There's a symbiotic working relationship that happens here. When husbands love their wives, wives will feel comfortable submitting to the leadership and authority God has called us to. And once again, this is like Christ. When we as Christians look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and the resurrection, we say, man, I want to submit my life to somebody that loves me that much. That's what I want to do. And husbands, when we are loving our wives that much in that Christ-like way, then our wife should want to submit to us because she says, I, I 100% know That my husband has my best interests at heart. He loves me. Now, that doesn't mean he's gonna do exactly what I want every time, but he listens to me. He's letting me have input. We communicate well. We're in relationship together. I feel like we're doing life together. And when he makes the decision, I'm all on board. See, God's design here is not for men to just get their way, that's not Christ like love. God's love is not selfish. It's not me first. God's love loves first. It serves first. God's love dies to self first. And it puts others first. See, his design is that men would be like Jesus and lead like Jesus. Be a servant leader who people want to follow, starting with the wife and the kids and others. Now, it's interesting. I just want to point this out, that one of the things that that the scriptures say, and particularly in verse 25, it says that husbands should love their wives just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. Jesus died for the church, and husbands should be willing to die for their wives. Now, uh, wives, let me just share something that's probably obvious, but Did you notice that you don't have to die for your husbands? Isn't that good news? That's great news, isn't it? Jesus didn't, God didn't tell you, you gotta die for your husband. But he did tell husbands, you need to die for your wife. Now, does that mean you need to go out and look for an opportunity right now to die for your wife during the middle of some crime or something? No, that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying, I want you to be sacrificial. That's what I want. I want you to live a sacrificial life like Jesus did for the church. And so I want you, I want there to be times where you give stuff up for your wife. And I want there to be moments where you're caring for her well. The second thing we see is in verse 28 and 29, where the verse says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, we are members of his body. Love your wife like you love your own body, it says. And Paul gives us this specific direction. What do you do with your body? You feed it. You care for it. You make sure that it has what it needs. And the point is that we should care for our wife's needs. So what are her needs? Do you know what they are? What are your wife's specific needs? What is her love language? Does she like physical touch or words of affirmation, or quality time, or gifts of service. What is she like? And you can figure this out really easily. If she really thanks you a lot when you do the dishes, instead of when you sit next to her on the couch, she probably wants you to do the dishes. Get off the couch and go do the dishes. <laughs> right? Now, don't trick them. Women, don't, that's not, that doesn't mean to you trick your husband. That, right. Jesus cared for the church, and we should care for our wives. Now, this is God's design. This is what God meant for us to do, meant for a husband to love and a wife to submit to that love. Now, let me conclude with an illustration about love that I think would be helpful for us as we talk about marriage a little bit more. Love is like a triangle, and I want you to think about it in three dimensions. And um, the three dimensions are this, passion, intimacy, and commitment. Can you throw up that diagram for me really quick and I'll show you what I mean. Love is like a triangle and the triangle has three perfect sides. Passion, intimacy, and commitment must be in this relationship all the time. If there's not enough commitment, then the bottom side of the triangle gets too small and it just falls over on its side. If there's not enough intimacy, the same thing happens. It falls over. If there's not enough passion, but there's tons of intimacy and commitment, the triangle's gonna implode on itself, okay? So a relationship must have these three healthy things operating together all the time, passion, intimacy, and commitment. Passion is the physical side of love. And the Greek word that they use for this kind of love is the word eros. It's the root word for erotica, where we get the, the, the term that describes passionate love. It's, it's the biological side of love that God designed to be enjoyed in a committed relationship between a husband and a wife. Listen to this quote for a minute. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. I mean, you say, Pastor Mark, whoa, maybe you need to slow down a little bit. We're in church, you know. Well, we talked about, we're going to start talking about these things in church, right? Because that's a Bible verse. Did you know that? That's Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. The entire book talks about the passionate side of love that a husband and a wife can share together. So I want to encourage you get a room, read that book together, and then see what happens. See, God designed us this way. Passion and sex, they're a gift from God. But like all gifts from God, there is balance, there are boundaries. And there are ways that God says yes and no to all of those gifts so that you and I live in them in purity and in righteousness, not in perversion. Intimacy is another side of the love triangle. And intimacy is the emotional side of the relationship. It's the friendship side of the love. And it's necessary to keep the marriage relationship work. It's what makes you feel close and makes you feel accepted, and makes you feel valued. It's the everyday, regular things that you do throughout the day to just make one another feel loved, and valued, and accepted. The Greek word for this is the word philia. It's the root word for like the word, city Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. It's friendship love. It's communication. It's honesty. It's care. It's support. It's what Ephesians 4.2 says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The third side of the love triangle is commitment. Now, it's interesting. Without commitment, the relationship just implodes on itself. Without commitment, the passion and the intimacy, they just don't work. The Greek word for love and commitment is the word eros. And eros is an interesting word about love. It's the word, it's the word love most used for God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in all of scripture because it's self-giving love. It's sacrificial love. It's a love that goes out of its way to serve when the other person may not even know that it's coming. It's sacrificial love. Commitment says, I love you for you not because of what you do or don't do or how I feel in the moment. Commitment says, I choose you and I always choose you. And I especially choose you when it's hard, when I'm mad, when I don't wanna forgive you, when you've hurt me, when I'm disappointed in our relationship. Commitment kicks in and says, I'm committed to this person, and I vowed my promise to this person no matter what. Commitment keeps everything going. Now, let me just say one little thing about commitment as a pushback. Please, please don't use commitment as an excuse. So sometimes I hear people say, well, we're just really committed to each other and nothing's going to break us apart. And so we don't need to go to that marriage class. Yeah, you do. Because every good and healthy and committed relationship needs to work on things. Because no marriage is perfect and every marriage needs work. In fact, that's what makes it work, that you're working at it. And that you're growing and that you're thriving and that you're learning and that you're talking and that you're working on things. And the things that are unhealthy, they're getting more healthy. And the things that are healthy, you're enhancing and thriving in. So don't use commitment. Sometimes we do this in the Christian community. We use commitment as our word and as our foundation to say, I don't need to work on things because we're just committed to each other. We still need to work on stuff. And we still need to figure out how can we be more passionate? How can we be more intimate? How can we be more committed? So here's what we discover. Passion, intimacy, and commitment are the hot, warm, and cold ingredients to a healthy and godly marriage. Now, the second relationship that God gives us guidance to is children and parents. Now, like the husband and wife roles, There are specific words to help us understand how this relationship works as well. God calls children to obey and honor. And God calls parents to discipline and instruct, okay? So let me take a minute, and uh, I'm going to talk to the kids in the room, teens, young adults. If you're still in college, I'd say this applies. Um, Wherever you're at in life, uh, I just want you to understand that these things apply to you. And, and, and let me say this, they can always apply. Like honoring your father and mother, they can always apply. Let me give you an example. When Kate and I first moved to Cheney, we'd only been here a couple weeks and my dad came to visit. And he, he visited a business in our community that is still in business right now today. And he came home and he said, Mark, I don't ever want you to go in that store. I don't ever want you to go in that business. And I said, why dad? He said, there's some inappropriate things in there and you just don't need to see them. Dad, I'm 32 years old. Yeah. um, so, So is that what I did? I said, dad, I'm 32 years old. I'll make my own decisions. Nope. Guess what? I've never been in that business to this day. Not once. And when we drive by that store, our kids, just to be funny, will say this, don't ever go in that store. <laughs> it's just like our funny family joke now. Don't ever go in the store. You can honor your parents at any time because your parents have experienced a lot. They've lived life a lot and they know what's best for you, whether you're two or three or 32 or 50. Parents know a lot. So let me talk to kids just for a minute. Um, The two words that God gives you in regards to your relationship with your parents are obey and honor. Now these two words, they're connected to two verses as well. The first one is verse one. Why should you obey? Because this is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to obey and honor. And then secondly, verse three, when you obey and honor your parents, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Now, let me address, first of all, the elephant in the room for a minute. For those of you that are younger in the room, here's the challenge that you have, right? There's no one in our culture right now telling you the right thing to do is to obey your parents. That's the challenge you have. When I was growing up, that was different, okay? When I was growing up, (laughs) this was hard, just so you know. There was a group of dads in my town that were all allowed to discipline me. And it was hard. They, they, I think the dads had a secret club, the Discipline Mark Club. So whenever Mark's doing something bad, anybody can discipline him. That's the complete opposite of what you're leaving in today. What we're saying today is parents should never discipline you. They should never teach you anything. And so you guys have, one of the the challenges you have right now as young kids is the culture is doing the opposite of what God wants you to do. And so I want to encourage you to do what God calls you to do, to obey and to honor your parents, because you're not hearing that anywhere. In fact, it's interesting, even if you watch like a little kid show on the Disney channel, how do they portray parents? Right, exactly out of touch and stupid, right? And kids, that's not true, that's a lie. Your parents are not stupid. They're out of touch, but they're not stupid, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's true, I'm out of touch on some things. But that's where you get to have fun with us and teach us things about our phone and Google and whatever's going on and we get to talk about it together, right? but don't let that sink in. So let me, ask, let me ask a question and answer it for us this morning. Why is it right to obey your parents and why will things go well for you if you do, okay? Why does God say that's right? And why will it go well for you in your life, in your future and now, if you obey and honor your parents? Well, the first thing is this, because most of us as parents, we've probably made some bad mistakes and we've learned the hard way, and we don't want you to make the same big mistakes. Now, let me clarify this. I used a word on purpose and it was the word big. We're totally fine with you making small mistakes. Totally good with that. In fact, we're gonna give you the opportunity to go out into the world and make small mistakes all the time and then come back home and talk about that. We're totally cool with you making small mistakes. But when it comes to a big mistake that's gonna change your life forever, we'd rather you didn't make that mistake. And so we're gonna put boundaries on your life. There are gonna be rules. There are gonna be things we say yes to. There are gonna be things we say no to because we don't want you to make a big mistake that could be life-changing and and, life-altering and challenge you to honor Jesus in your life. So that's the first reason. Second reason is parents are doing what you haven't done. Okay, parents right now are doing what you haven't done. They have experience and wisdom and growth and knowledge about things that you don't have because they're doing it or have done things that you're not doing right now. This is like what a coach does. If you have a coach or you have someone that's teaching you how to play an instrument, Or ladies, you go talk to some older lady about how to do your makeup well. Or guys, you watch another man fix something and you're like, wow, that's really cool. I want a 57 Chevy too. Um, Whatever it might be, right? You kind of submit your life to that. You obey and learn from them and you honor them because they know something that you don't know. And that's what being a parent is like. And that's what God is asking you to do. And the same is true for your parents. Most of the time, they know what they're talking about. Most of the time when you come to them and you share something, or, or you're having a family discussion and you're talking about something, and you're just having this great dialogue and this great communication, most of the things that you're talking about, they're going to understand, even if it might relate to something they didn't grow up in or something life's most of the time, pretty similar. And so they'll understand that. And so you can talk to them and bring your life to them. And a lot of times they'll have even better advice than a friend will. See, parents are doing what you haven't done yet. They're paying the bills and putting food on the table and stocking the fridge and having snacks in the cupboard and They've been doing relationships for a long time and they know how to have a good mature friendship. They've been doing all these things that you're just learning to do. See, this is how it works. What God is saying is this, as a kid, as a teen, as a young adult, I don't want you to carry all of the responsibility of life right now. Let your parents carry that. That's their job. And you, just be a kid. Just be a teen, just do life and let them be a part of your life so you grow and learn wisdom and have a great time. Lastly, parents are a huge resource in your life, huge. The biggest resource you have in your entire life lives with you. That's your parents. See, true wisdom, Proverbs says that true wisdom is learning from others' mistakes and advice so that you can do the same thing in a wise way and not make the same mistakes as them. Foolishness is making the same mistake that somebody else has made. And so we want you to be wise. So when you honor and obey your parents, you're actually wise. So I wanna encourage you, use the time that you have with your parents. Use these moments when they come into your life and want to have a family meeting, (laughs) right? Don't get all upset about it. It's an opportunity to learn, to grow, to obey and honor them. Now, lastly, let me say this to you. You're going to have to fight the noise, aren't you? Because the noise of our culture right now is telling you what? Don't obey your parents. Your parents are stupid, your parents are lame. What could they possibly know? Fight the noise, because it's a lie. And here's why. Because the enemy of your soul knows the power of a great relationship with your parents. And he does not want you to have that. He doesn't want you to have that wisdom. He doesn't want you to have that advice. He doesn't want you to be set up for a great future because you've obeyed and honored your parents. He wants you to struggle. And so, if you will live in the power of God and in the wisdom of God's word and obey and honor your parents, you'll set yourself up for your future. It's how you will discover that you get to live a long life and live it well. The last role is the role of a parent. Parents, our role, grandparents will throw us in there too, right? Our role is to discipline and instruct. That's our role. Now here's the challenge. God says that the role of a parent is to discipline and instruct. That's a parent's responsibility. That's the challenging part. Notice that God did not say as a parent, what I want you to do is be your child's best friend. It's not what God said. He didn't say be your kid's best friend and let them have everything they want and show them that they are the center of the universe. It's not what God said. God also didn't say, I want you to be the ultimate authoritarian in their life and force them to do everything you want. He didn't say that either. What did he say? He said to discipline and instruct. Discipline is love. That's what scripture teaches us. That God disciplines those he loves. In fact, it is love. Let me give you an example. Is it love or hate when your four-year-old boy has a fork in his hand and he's about to put it in a light socket and you say, don't. Is that love or hate? It's love. I don't want my kid to stick the fork in a light socket. I don't want him to grab the burner on the stove. I don't want him to ride their bike out into the street super fast, right? So why do we discipline? Why do we instruct? Because it's love. Now, because children are supposed to honor and obey their parents, that doesn't mean that we get to be mean or make them frustrated and angry all the time. Look at verse four with me. This is really important. Verse four says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Hmm. So how does that work? How do I cause my children to be angry by the way I treat them? Well, it happens when we don't give kids the why. If we discipline our kids with no teaching, with no instruction, with no why, they'll become frustrated. The same happens to us as adults. There's all kinds of things in the adult world that if they don't tell us the why, we're not happy about it, are we? We get angry, we get frustrated, Anybody frustrated at politics right now? It's because they don't have a clue what the why is. There's no knowledge rolling around up here in their thinker that helps them understand why that would be a good decision for those of us living in our culture and how that equates to everyday life. None of it does anymore. So we're all super frustrated because the people at the top don't understand the why. Well, if you're the person at the top at your home, your mom or dad, and you don't ever tell your kids the why, then guess how they feel? Angry and frustrated. So when we tell them something to do, you have to give them the why. Now, the next part of the verse, Paul says, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So we need to have a godly reason for each discipline. There must be some instruction, some direction, some purpose, a why connected to the discipline that we're giving them. See, instruction communicates the purpose and reason for the discipline that you're acting, asking them to do. Tim, what you don't understand is when you stick that fork in the light socket, it's gonna hurt a lot. Well, dad, can I try it on my own? (laughs) No, you can't, right? God is encouraging parents to teach life lessons with their discipline. Now, let me just balance this a little bit because there's something called first-time obedience that I think is also necessary for our parenting. There are times where first-time obedience needs to be what happens, it's okay to have moments when kids should obey without instructions, but it shouldn't be the norm or the standard all the time. If there's a moment where your kids just need to listen and it might even be a safety issue, you need them to obey right now and you need them to obey the first time. But you have to teach that. You have to instruct in that. For instance, if you give your kids some, a command to do and you give it over and over and over again, and each time you give it, You just amp your vocal up a little bit. So the first time you ask, could you you go clean your room, please? And they don't do it. They just continue to watch TV. And the next time you go, "I, I really need you to go clean your room. I asked you five minutes ago, can you go clean your room, please? They don't move. You walk away, you go start doing something in the kitchen, you come back and you go what? Go clean your room now. What'd you just teach your parent your kids? You don't have to do anything until I scream at you. That's what you taught your kids. So if you do that over and over and over again without first time obedience, what you're teaching your kids is you really don't have to do anything until I scream at you and I'm frustrated, now you're frustrated and we're both angry. Or you teach first time obedience. And the first time needs to be the time they say yes. Now, why is that important? Why is that a life lesson? What's the why to that? Here's the why to first time obedience. Without some, it doesn't all have to be that, but without some first time obedience, children, and I'm going to lump adults in here too, children and adults begin to think they're the center of the world and we don't need authority in our culture at all. Sound familiar? That's where we're at. That's why we got to teach it. That's why we got to model it. It needs to come out of our boys. It needs to be part of our life. It needs to be part of theirs. And here's why. Here's another why, right? Has anybody ever had God ask you to do something and he didn't give you a why? He just told you to do it just because he's Papa Daddy and he knows what's best. And he's like a trillion, Google, billion times smarter than we are. And so there's gonna be times where God's gonna say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And I'm, I'm not gonna debate it with you. I just want you to obey. And so as parents, there needs to be times that we do that too, to model to our kids that God's gonna do that on occasion. He doesn't do it all the time. He just does it sometimes. See, God desires for our Christian households to operate with love and respect. And and these are his instructions to help us work on it along the way every single day. Would you stand with me? We believe that the Spirit gives guidance to all these relationships. And so that means that as we live in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches us how to be great wives and husbands and parents and children and how to honor the Lord and to submit to one another every single day as we do life together. So I hope you'll take some of those things, a couple good things in there, and um, you'll be a part of that. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come up. So whoever's on the prayer team this morning, would you just come up and get ready to pray? There might be some things that you wanna pray about this morning, and these are great people that you can come and just pray about and talk to things about. So I'm sure there's a couple of people that probably have some things going on in life, and it'd be great to pray with somebody before you leave. So... Uh, do that. Don't forget there are um, family prayer cards uh, out the door. Last week we started our family prayer cards. They're just little cards with all the families on it in our church. And we want to pray for our families and cover them in prayer all throughout the year. So if you would like to pray for a family in our church, you can grab a family prayer card out in the commons. And there's also some great um, resources out there. A couple books about praying through the scriptures for your kids and your teens and for your older kids great things to pick up and great things to do this year. So grab those as you go and just check them out and uh, find some ways to just grow in Christ. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Thank you for what you're teaching and training us in. And we pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to live in the way that you've called us and designed us to. Thank you for your word and for what it says. And we pray that you would help us to obey and honor your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for coming to church. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.